This week, I was asked to teach a lesson to the young women in my church congregation, ages 11 to 18, about pornography. Specifically, how can I resist pornography? I knew that this topic could potentially impact so many of the teenage girls listening, and I felt a huge weight of responsibility to prepare well and most of all, plead with the Lord to have the Spirit with me and that He would direct me in what to teach and how to teach this effectively. Today, I'm sharing what I taught in my lesson to these teenage girls about the truths versus lies when it comes to pornography, whether it's normal or a good place to learn. Spoiler alert, these are all lies that Satan wants us to believe, and how to resist these temptations. We talk about the best ways to arm ourselves against these temptations, and if any of them find themselves struggling with an addiction to pornography, where to turn and how to find help. Neil joins me in this podcast episode and adds his thoughts, advice, and testimony of hope and healing from pornography. Hello, everyone. Here with Neil. Hi. And I am going to share what I taught today to the young women, so the girls ages 11 to 18 our church congregation, and I was asked to teach the lesson entitled, How Can I Resist Pornography? And I knew exactly why they chose me for this when I was asked to give this lesson, and that's because Neil and I have been so open about his whole journey with overcoming a pornography addiction and for probably just the background that I have of understanding very intensely and intimately what that whole world is about and where some of the solution is hopefully too. So I'm excited to share this with you and with what I learned and what I shared with the girls today. And hopefully this will help you if you have a teenager that you need to talk to about pornography, or if maybe you have a teenager that you want to pass this along to, or if you ever have a situation where you need to teach a group of youth about this, or even just for yourself. It's hopefully going to be helpful information. I started out by talking about how there are truth versus lies in life. Okay, so there's a lot of information out there. There's a lot of truth out there, and there are a lot of lies. And Satan is the father of all lies. We know that. And he's so tricky and sneaky and so good at what he does, which is confuse everything that Heavenly Father wants for us. I started out by teaching these girls that your sexuality is a gift from Heavenly Father. The fact that you have attraction to other people, the fact that you'll have those feelings about curiosity and feelings within your body, these are all gifts from our Heavenly Father, and it doesn't make you a bad person. I think that there were lessons that I listened to as a youth where it was like, be so careful, and these are the things to avoid, and pornography is bad, and which is all true. But I, and, and I didn't exactly say this in the lesson, but just as far as background goes, I think that there were a lot of those type of messages communicated to me as a youth. And my parents did do a good job of teaching me that sex is beautiful and it's between a man and like a husband and wife. And that's something that you'll be able to enjoy someday. And they did do a really good job of that. But I can't say I remember hearing that in church. And so I wanted to teach these girls that when you have those feelings, when you have curiosity, when things start to happen where you are thinking about that and wondering what a 
person, a naked person looks like, or what it looks like when two people have sex or whatever, that it's not, it, it doesn't make you a bad person, that that is like a huge part of why we're here on this earth. And it's a huge part of Heavenly Father's plan. Neil, what do you remember as far as like these types of lessons and maybe some of the mixed messages or things that you were dealing with as a, you know, teenager, 11, 11 to 18? I don't honestly, and I, I don't remember a ton of sadly, and maybe that's just my memory. I know that there were, there, there were lessons there. The ones that stuck out in my mind were lessons about, yeah, why pornography is bad. And even those ones, we didn't have a ton. It was still, it was mid nineties ish. And it was the internet, I think really hadn't come out yet. And so mm-hmm. it was still, if you're coming across pornography, it's old school magazines or whatever. Right. And so it was there. Not like it is now. Oh, yeah. It wasn't the like epidemic that it is now. But it was there. But yeah, it was very bad. And it seemed like they'd always somehow reference Ted Bundy in there somewhere. It was like, yeah, Ted Bundy started out with pornography. And so this is where it goes and all this stuff. And so there is a place for that. There's there is a place in this conversation for pornography addiction is progressive. and, And I did touch on that. And it's not like you should just completely leave that out of the conversation, right? Yeah. And I think it's it shouldn't be like, I, I think really what I saw growing up was that was the entire focus of it. It would mm-hmm. be like 98% of the time when it was a talk about pornography, it was just like, this is so, which it is bad and it is. But what I think what was left out of the conversation I felt was, okay, I don't even know anything about healthy sexuality or how that's supposed to work or how it was. That's the component of it that I I think I missed. And there were a few girls with wide eyes, but I just, I said to them, every single person in this room exists because two people were attracted to each other and had sex. That's how people come to this earth. And that is... Again, a huge part of Heavenly Father's plan for us. But when I said this too, with every gift that Heavenly Father gives us, Satan loves to come up with a counterfeit or he loves to try to confuse the plan and confuse the gifts that Heavenly Father gives to us. So we made a chart and I told them too, I remember learning when I was about their age in a Sunday school lesson that for every good thing that Heavenly Father gives us that Satan comes up with a counterfeit. And I said, I wanted to make sure that wasn't just something that I learned that was random. And I did find within our gospel library an activity for primary kids when there was a lesson this year on like truth versus lies and Satan and and God and knowing what are things of God versus Satan's imitations. So we made a little list on the whiteboard. So I wrote under the things of God, uplifting music or movies, and then Satan's imitation, degrading music or movies, things of God, scriptures, Satan's imitation, bad books, things of God, love between husband and wife, Satan's imitation, immorality. And I had them add to that list. And I said, what are some things that came from Heavenly Father? And then what are Satan's counterfeit or imitation? And they came up with really good suggestions. But I think they understood the message of good things come from our Heavenly Father. And then Satan tries to steal that. And I said, there is actual power. Satan does have power over people. And it's not as great as God's power, but it is it is something that works that's powerful that you can be sucked into. And it all, it happens to all of us sometimes. So I think that's such an important thing to know. And so then we moved on to 
what does the world want you to think about this topic, pornography and masturbation? So we made a whole list of things. Okay. So we talked about how the world wants you to think pornography's normal and masturbation's normal and it's everyone's doing it. It's good. It teaches you something. You can learn from that. It's not that big of a deal. Like we wrote down all of these things. They, the girls gave me a great list of their ideas of what the world wants you to believe about pornography and masturbation. And then I said, okay, let's debunk this. Let's go straight to the source. I don't want to be the source. I don't want you guys to just take my word for it. Let's read what our prophet says about this. And I asked them, does anyone, can anyone tell me who wrote for the strength of youth pamphlet? And we just sat there in silence, which was funny. And then if you're a member of our church, the strength of youth pamphlet, it's actually, it would be awesome for anyone of any faith to read with their teenagers and even for adults to live by, but it's just a set of standards that helps you live a really a better life. And in the same way that you could take a list of rules to teach young children, don't run across the street, hold a grown-up's hand, look both ways, things like that. These are rules and, and guidelines to help keep kids safe as far as their relationships, the music they listen to, the things they read, all kinds of things. It talks about friendship. You're big on the For Strength of Youth pamphlet. What else does it talk about? Some of the subjects. Just overall, any really principle that would concern a teen. Yeah. Friendships, relationships, spirituality, how to you know cultivate your spirituality. And then I like how it really, there's no... It just completely outlines like sexual purity. There's yep. a whole section on sexual purity and what, you know, why that's important and what to watch out for. There's a section on media. So it's what to view and what not to view and why that's important. There's a section on honesty or work work and self-reliance and stuff like that. And there's different components of it within the pamphlet. But it it's really like the, the handbook. What I see it as like a guidebook or a little handbook for teens. Yeah. Neil like, loves it. He's always pulling it. it out with our little kids and, and reading it to them. For me, even as an adult, I'm like, yeah, I, uh, these are principles for me. Yeah. For I should be living. Yeah. It, it applies to everybody. And so it's awesome. So when I asked them and the girls, and, and this is a room of 50 girls, something like that. We have a pretty big group of young women in our ward and nobody really knew. And someone said, an apostle. <laughs> And I said, it was actually written by the first presidency. So in our church, that's the prophet or the president of our church and his counselors. So I said, I've heard people say, oh, that's old school. That was written forever ago. And I said, I don't know if you realize this, but just recently within the last year, our prophet, President Nelson, kind of reiterated how important that is. And they basically updated it with some, a little bit even more clarification in a couple places, but they re-endorsed it and said, everyone should be living by this. Everyone in, within our faith should be taking these standards seriously. So this is what the First Strength of Youth pamphlet says, specifically, first of all, about sexual purity. Do not do anything else that arouses sexual feelings. Do not arouse those emotions in your own body. The spirit of the Lord will withdraw from one who is in sexual transgression. Do not participate in discussions or any media that arouse sexual feelings. Do not participate in any type of pornography. It's right there. It says, don't arouse those feelings within yourself. Don't participate in pornography. I have had friends like 
temple-going, church-going, fully, supposedly, like, fully into the plan of our gospel and our faith say to me, like, yeah, I've heard some sex therapists in the church or whatever, like LDS sex therapists or people saying that that's outdated, like that they used to teach that masturbation isn't okay, but like it's kind of okay now. And I'm like, no, 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 guys, it's not okay. It's not something that's just fine. And I told the girls, listen, this is not something that even is particular to our religion. And I said, I'm going to teach you. First of all, there's three places that the scriptures, that our scriptures at least tell us that this isn't okay. But I said, I'm going to teach you specifically where it says this in the Bible so that if you're ever speaking to other Christian friends, because we live in Southern California, there's tons of different faiths down here that these kids go to school with. It's not just, we're not in Utah where it's almost all members of our same church. And so I said, listen, I'm going to teach you where it says, where it specifically talks about this in the Bible. So we went to Matthew 5. 28 says, but I say unto you that whosoever looketh on a woman to lust after her hath committed adultery with her already in his heart. So I was like, listen, it like the Bible says it, the Book of Mormon says it, the Doctrine and Covenants say it. They all say basically the exact same thing. But anyone who is a believer in the Bible can look at that and say, okay, like Jesus taught that if you look at a woman and lust after her, you've already committed adultery in your heart. And adultery is like in the Bible stated the greatest sin next to murder. And this isn't, again, I, this isn't to like make someone feel super shameful or like they're a horrible person. It's just to debunk that myth of, oh, this isn't a big deal anymore. Because I think Satan wants people to start going into that justification that it's not that big of a deal. Everyone's doing it. That was outdated. Now it's cool. Now it's fine. No, this is another thing that the first strength of youth that Neil loves so much, the entertainment and media part that you brought up. And I actually really love some of the things that it specifically says about spirituality, like you said. So it says, Satan uses media to deceive you by making what is wrong and evil look normal, humorous, or exciting. He tries to mislead you into thinking that breaking God's commandments is acceptable and has no negative consequences for you or others. Pornography in all forms is especially dangerous and addictive. What may begin as an unexpected exposure or a curious exploration can become a destructive habit. Use of pornography is a serious sin and can lead to other sexual transgression. Avoid pornography at all costs. It is a poison that weakens your self-control, destroys your feelings of self-worth, and changes the way you see others. It causes you to lose the guidance of the Spirit and can damage your ability to have a normal relationship with others, especially your future spouse. It limits your ability to feel true love. So what was cool is I had that whole list, right, of the lies that the girls told me that the world wants us to believe and Satan wants us to believe. And as I read this, I was able to underline or circle almost every single thing that they listed out that the world wants us to believe and how our prophet has taught us the exact opposite, where Satan wants us to believe that it's wrong or what is wrong and evil looks normal. And I underlined normal because they said that's, you know, what Satan wants us to believe and there's no negative consequences. And anyway, it was just really interesting that the girls all on their own identified almost every one of these lies that are debunked in the First Strength of Youth pamphlet. So these kids know, and I knew that going into it. Back when we were teenagers, the 
whole tobacco industry was like the big push, like teaching kids our age that if you smoke, it can kill you or it will kill you. Do you remember that? It was like, yeah, no, I remember the biggest they were starting thing. to come out with that. Yeah. And I feel like also when we were in our late teenage years to like early twenties, that was when it was like, whoa, the internet's out. And now we realize there's also tons of pornography and bad things on there. And it was something that all of a sudden it was like, let's hit this hard. Let's teach everyone. Let's educate everybody about how bad pornography is. I feel like the kids now, like they know, but the teenagers, like they've been taught this, they know. And I was like, you guys know right from wrong. When you have friends at school who say, oh, vaping's cool. Vape won't hurt you. It's not like smoking a cigarette. I was like, you guys know truth and right from wrong. So I know you already know this about pornography. And I said, I will quickly list off a few things that you can read about that also scientifically teaches us that pornography is not good for you. And these all come from fightthenewdrug.org. There's articles on how pornography changes your brain, how it affects your brain like a drug. It will negatively impact love and intimacy. It normalizes objectification and porn fuels sex trafficking, which I said to them is selling children for sex slavery. I was like, these are all true aspects of the scientific reasons why, based on science, pornography is not a good thing. And I went back to that list of the two different columns where we had things of God versus Satan's imitations. And I said, okay, has anyone ever seen the signs for palm readers? Don't you feel like that's just everywhere in Orange County? There's like a fascination in Southern California (laughs) with palm reading. I I don't know. I don't, I'm not into it, but clearly there are several enough to necessitate the need for several. Right. Fortune tellers, psychic palm readers, like they're just everywhere. And I said, interestingly, I feel like with all of the truths that God gives us, the counterfeits that Satan gives us are all like quick and easy and they require no effort. And I said, if you compare the books, we had two two types of books on there. I said... When you read scripture, it takes some effort. It takes focus. A lot of these books that have been repackaged as a romance novel and it's they get super popular or whatever, they're usually like quick, easy reads that you immediately are able to transform into this other world. And I said, that's exactly what pornography does too. It takes all of the work out of a relationship and just makes it like, go straight to the, let's have instant gratification with no, there's no work or effort behind any of that. And so I said, I, I feel like you guys all understand the problem. So let's focus on the solution. And Neil, do you remember anyone talking about that as far as like the lessons that you had growing up, like focusing on the solution? <laughs> The only, and it was always the solution, was always the same, which is true, is right. It is a good solution, which is if you're having these problems, it was talk to your bishop, talk to your bishop, talk to your parents, talk, talk to a trusted adult or advisor, or mostly is talk to your parents or your bishop. That was it. I mean, it would be most of the talks that I would hear, and I'm not, you know, trying to bash on any of the talks. These were from leaders that I highly respected and the prophet at the time, our prophet growing up was President Gordon B. Hinckley, whom I just absolutely love. Yeah. The guy anyone who has listened. Insanely amazing. Yeah. Anyone who's listened to this podcast knows that Neil and I both have just the highest amount of respect and adoration and love 
for President Hinckley. Yeah, that guy is just... He was our prophet. Just incredible. He was absolutely. But I think at the time with the way things were and just how big of a deal it was becoming with the internet... I think it was, it was the voice of warning where it was like, Hey, we got to warn people. And that was, so most of the talks were, were, were the warning. And it was 95% of the time was like, here's why you need to know this. This is so important. And so it would go through. And then the last couple minutes would be like, okay, if you're struggling, talk to your bishop or talk to your parents. And that was, that was it. And so that's what I remember growing up as the solution or pray, which all of these solutions, all these things, these are very important. Don't get me wrong. Like these are foundational things. But I think that in facing something, I I just always think of Christ casting the demons out of the person who was possessed in the New Testament and the apostles, his apostles had tried first and they were on, they were not successful. And then they brought this person to Christ and then he cast these demons out and they're like, why couldn't we do this? We have faith and... And then he says something interesting. He says, this kind goeth not out, but by prayer and by fasting. Mm. And I, I don't know, that always struck me because I think that there are certain demons or challenges in our lives that 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 take more of a full court press and, and, and there's more tactical rubber to the road things to really get into understand apply the atonement very tactically and that's where i think the 12 steps come in in walking you through that process but short answer to your question most of it was really about how big of a problem it was right and how damaging it was right my memories are the same and again i go back to the tobacco industry big red flag oh my gosh this is actually going to kill people like when this is always my mom's explanation too of why my grandpa passed away from being addicted to um, smoking and alcohol was like when people enlisted in the army and in the Navy, like my grandpa, like back in whatever decade that was, I can't remember, but let's see, my mom was born in 62. So it would have been like in the yeah late fifties, early sixties. They handed people cigarettes as like a thank you and funded cigarettes for them. That was like a perk of joining the army because they didn't know it was going to kill people. And then once they figured that out, it was like, oh my gosh, let's let everyone know. And so that's, you know, what I think of. And I think of President Hinckley giving those smackdown talks and it was a voice of warning and let's make sure everyone understands just how bad this can be. Because like you said before, the internet, it was like, you had to really go out of your way to find it. Now I said to the girls, raise your hand if you've seen pornography. And most of them raised their hand. And I said, come on guys, everyone in here should be raising their hand. You have all seen it. And I said, in fact, my eight-year-old came home from a surf shop the other day and Neil had taken her down to get stuff for her little junior lifeguard program that she's doing. And I had to take one thing back to exchange it. And she goes, mom, be careful when you go to the checkout, there's pornography. And I was thinking, oh, this will be interesting. What is it that she's talking about? And I get down there and sure enough, there's a skateboard on the wall. There's all these skateboards like pinned up on the wall and there's a skateboard with a sketch of a topless woman. And I was like, yep, that's what she was talking about. And good for her for identifying that and telling me, and it is pornography and maybe not in the traditional sense that all of us think of, oh, when someone's Googling something or whatever, but it will come find you even if you're not looking for it was my point. And so I think that our kids and the teenagers now are living in a completely different generation than even when you and I were 18, whatever. And I, I remember that time it was like, 
people were just starting to do chat rooms. And I was like doing chat rooms with my friend, like AOL chat rooms with my friends in the kind of the last couple years of high school and into my freshman year. And in fact, Facebook became, I was in that generation where I literally was able to open one of the first Facebook accounts at BYU. And that was back when you could only open a Facebook account with a .edu email address. And it was only for college students. Now it's like everyone and their dog can be on there. Neil's mom is on there and (laughs) all the, like all of the senior citizens are on there now. Like it's just, anybody can be on there, but the internet is just a completely different world. Now the kids are, are facing Snapchat and TikTok. And I told them, listen, I've been on TikTok and it's different than Instagram. Like on Instagram, you pick who you're following. So if I'm following people like Emily Bell Freeman and the Tabernacle Choir and the different accounts that are really wholesome, I'm mostly going to just see wholesome things. But on TikTok, it's a totally different world, like where you scroll and a video pops up from who knows where. It has its own algorithm and it just gives you random stuff from random different accounts that you aren't necessarily following. And so I said, if it's going to find you on there really fast, even if you're not looking for it. So anyway, we talked about that and I taught them your barbershop quote. You want to tell, share the barbershop quote? Well, it's not mine. I, any great quote, I get it from a meeting and it's somebody <laughs> quoting somebody else. I think it's one of my buddies in, in a meeting. He, he, it's something he heard in AA is, if you hang around a barbershop, you're going to get a haircut. Yep. So I taught the girls that they thought that was funny, but I, I said, what do you guys think that means? And they were like, yeah, if you have friends who are doing something, you're going to end up doing it too. And I said, that's exactly right. Like for all of you who think, oh, I can hang out like with these people and I'm not going to do that. If you hang out with a group of people long enough who are doing something, you're going to end up doing it too. We talked a little bit about, listen, I know that for some of you, pornography might seem like it's totally out of reach or not something you're going to get into. But I said, I really felt strongly impressed that when I was preparing for this, that we also needed to just talk about sexting and about, I said, I know there it's this big thing now for boys to text girls, send nudes. And I was like, I know that there are girls in this room who are either going to get that text or they have gotten it. And I said, I want you to know that is pornography and it's actually classified as child pornography. And if you send those, you could be in trouble with the law and also whoever's receiving those could go to jail for that. And I said, and those things can haunt you for the rest of your life. They don't ever necessarily, like they don't ever really actually go away. Once you take a picture and send it somewhere through a text or the internet, like that stuff can follow you around for a really long time. I said, listen, if you ever get that, you can just write them back and say, that's the stupidest thing anyone's ever asked me or just ghost them or whatever. But I said, have the courage to stand up for yourself and know that is pornography and it's not okay. And it has no place 
in your life. And I, I felt really strongly that we needed to just address that. But this is what Jeffrey R. Holland says about the barbershop, basically. Above all, start by separating yourself from people, materials, and circumstances that will harm you. As those battling something like alcoholism know, the pull of proximity can be fatal. So too in moral matters, like Joseph in the presence of Potiphar's wife, just run as far away as you can get from whatever or whomever it is that beguiles you. And please, when fleeing the scene of temptation, do not leave a forwarding address. And actually, right before I read this to them, I said, where do you think the worst place is for someone who's an alcoholic to be? And they said, the bar. And I was like, exactly. And I said, if you already know that you are struggling with a temptation for this, you need to like maybe give yourself even further boundaries than someone who maybe isn't as tempted by that. And I said, it would be, and, and actually the bishop said this even better than I did. He said, it would be best if it comes from you. And I said, the best thing is if it comes from you and you're the one who goes to your parents and says, I I need you to help me with this, or I don't want these apps or find someone that can be your accountability partner. Talk to one of your leaders, talk to the bishop. They all want to help you. They all love you. And so if you're someone who is particularly struggling with this, you need to make sure you're not in places or putting yourself in positions where it's going to catch you and find you easier. So Neil, talk about what you've done personally in your life to make sure you're not hanging out in the barbershop per se. I don't know. I mean, at this point in my life, most of my really close friends are people from 12 step meetings, but not even, (laughs) and that's, that's very true, but not even like necessarily people, but like things you've done in your life to keep you out of the proverbial barbershop. No. And that's, and this is one that I've had to a lot of trial and error and really error in the ways of relapse. And I think that the initial first unspoken step, so to speak in, in 12 steps is you do have to making it, you do have to stop in order to stay stopped. You have to really work a a solid program. The first kind of step is, okay, where am I getting, how am I getting this? And if I really want to have any sort of chance whatsoever, I need to sever these of this availability. If I'm trying to get over an addiction to marijuana or cocaine, I'm not going to carry around a, you know, a sack of drugs in my pocket, but with a cell phone. And if your problem is pornography, you're literally carrying around like weed or a bag of cocaine in your pocket all of the time. And not only that, you have to pull it out and look at it for other things. It's inevitably going to catch up to you. So for me, I've gone through all kinds of different things with filters and there's mixed feelings on that. Some are like, look, you can hack all of them, which is true. I'm, I'm living proof of that. I've had my, <laughs> suddenly I'm like not a techie at all, but suddenly I can turn into like right. a software programmer, developer, MacGyver and hack through anything if I really want to. But buying myself time, it's important because I think having filters or setting limits for myself on the computer and I've done different things there or with the TV and giving those passcodes to other people, it buys me, I think, especially in the beginning, it bought me time to be able to, to really, or just created enough of a mental barrier to be like, look, I, I know I could get something, but it's such a hassle to get something like I just, it's enough of a barrier to keep me from doing it. 
so I did have to change a lot of different things. And that was passcodes on things, not just different rules that I had to set for myself. And, you and asked it all me. came down to accountability. Yeah. yeah. Like that I, wasn't my idea. That wasn't me coming to you being like, Hey Neil, yeah. we need to put a password on here. We need to take off. Da, da, da. No. Yeah, it, it, it does. It has to be self-driven and, and I have to be the one who runs that. Yeah. And speaking of filters, I said, okay, there were two talks that are recent talks from one from an apostle and one from a female leader in our church, one from Jeffrey R. Holland and one from Linda Reeves about this topic. And I said, the most interesting thing to me as I studied these talks side by side is there was one thing that they said almost exactly the same. And it was that the internal filter is the best filter. I thought that was super interesting. So this is what Jeffrey R. Holland says. Along with filters on computers and a lock on affections, remember that the only real control in life is self-control. And then Linda Reeves says, filters are useful tools, but the greatest filter in the world, the only one that will ultimately work is the personal internal filter that comes from a deep and abiding testimony of our Heavenly Father's love and our Savior's atoning sacrifice for each of us. So I was like, listen, you guys can, like filters are great and asking for help is great, but having that internal filter that's driven by the Spirit because you're inviting the Spirit into your life is the one that's going to work the very best. And then I talked about empower yourself. Like I, t I said, this doesn't just apply to pornography. It applies to anything, any temptation, any negative thought, anything that Satan wants to put into your head. You don't have to sit in every thought that comes your way. You don't have to accept every thought that comes into your brain. You don't have to. And that includes, oh, I don't have any friends. I'm not very smart. I'm not skinny enough. Nobody likes me. You can dismiss those thoughts because they're Satan trying to get into your brain. And when you're tempted to do something that you know is wrong, whether that's viewing pornography or vaping or whatever that seems like it's the cool or acceptable thing to do, you can dismiss those thoughts. You have the power to say, no, I actually know better. And that is not going to put me on a path to a happy life. And I said, when Neil and I were really struggling with his addiction to pornography, I just kept feeling, and I would tell Neil this, I just have such a hard time believing that Heavenly Father would let so many of his children struggle with the same thing, with no way out, with no solution. And yet at the time when Neil was really at the height of his addiction, at least in our marriage, it felt like that at times. It felt, okay, he's just going to basically be on a lapse and relapse schedule for the rest of our lives. Like he might go a month or two here or there, but it's just going to be like a recurring thing until we die. That's how I, I had almost like accepted the reality. That's just what our life was going to look like. And I even said to my bishop at one point or in our old neighborhood, I said, I think I'm just going to have to endure this until we get to the next life, because I just don't think Neil's going to figure this one out. And that's what I had come to accept. And yet I believe so strongly that heavenly father did give his children a way out. And I said, okay, Here's the scripture that I want you guys to read. So I had one of the girls read 1 Corinthians 10, 13. There hath no temptation taken you, but such as is common to man. But God is faithful, who will not suffer you to be tempted above that ye are able. But with the temptation also make a way to escape that ye may be able to bear it. After that girl read that, I said, what do you think that means? And she said, it means that Heavenly Father won't give you any temptation that is greater than what you can bear. 
And I said, that's what I used to focus on when I would read this. And I said, as a teenager, I actually used to feel frustrated with this concept because I felt like, gosh, I am trying to be a good kid. I read my scriptures. I go to church. I pray. I'm like this good girl. And sometimes I still fail. I still give in to temptation. So I must just not be doing it right. Or I must just not be good enough because that's just not how it goes for me. (laughs) And I said, I'm going to read this again with a different emphasis. And I want you to listen. So there hath no temptation taken you, but such as is common to man. But God is faithful, who will not suffer you to be tempted above that ye are able, but will with temptation also make a way to escape that ye may be able to bear it. Okay. And there's another scripture that I read to them, or I had one of the girls read from the Book of Mormon, 1 Nephi 17, 3. And thus we see the commandments of God must be fulfilled. And if it so be that the children of men keep the commandments of God, he doth nourish them and strengthen them and provide means whereby they can accomplish the thing which he has commanded them. Wherefore, he did provide the means for us while we did sojourn in the wilderness. And I said, okay, what do you guys get from that? And again, they were like, yeah, you know, Heavenly Father will give us everything we need. And I said, yes, but let's read it again. But let's emphasize a couple of different things. Thus, we see the commandments of God must be fulfilled. And if it so be that the children of men keep the commandments of God, if it so be that they keep the commandments of God, he doth nourish them and strengthen them and provide means whereby they can accomplish the thing which he has commanded them. Wherefore, he did provide means for us while we did sojourn in the wilderness. So I was like, listen, It says, if you keep the commandments, he will nourish you, strengthen you, and provide the means that you need. So I said, you have to do some of the work. You have to show up and be reading your scriptures, praying. You have to be nourishing that spirituality in order for you to be strong enough to withstand temptation. And interestingly, the bishop did say something that was even cooler than that, which I'll get to in just a second. But I had them open their gospel library app, which... If you don't have this app on your phone, you can open up the app store right now and search gospel library and it will pull up and it has all kinds of resources and spiritual talks and the scriptures on there and all kinds of things for any person of faith, whether you're of our faith or any faith. It's a gospel library app. And I showed them that if you go to this section that's called life help and then addiction and the 12 steps, I said, okay. There are people who will view pornography and not necessarily become pornography addicts because they've seen it. But I said, there are people in here. I said, I guarantee you there's at least a couple of girls in this room who are struggling with pornography addiction right now, who are having a hard time not looking every day or all the time on their phone or their device or whatever at pornography. And I said, for those of you who are struggling with this, I want you to know there is a way out. And for Neil and me and what we've experienced, it wasn't counseling, couples counseling, individual counseling, group therapy, outpatient recovery, whatever, all these paid things that we tried. I said, it was the 12 steps. And these are the same 12 steps that came from Alcoholics Anonymous that have helped millions of people become free of their addiction to alcohol. I said, these same 12 steps have been adopted by our church and turned into 12 steps that you can use for a pornography addiction or any addiction. And I said, listen, these steps changed my life. They changed Neil's life. 
And I said, I will work these steps with any of you. If you want to work the steps with me, you can call me. It can be a private thing. You can work with me. I said the addiction recovery meetings are here every week. You will need permission from your parents to attend them. But if you want to, and they agree to it, you can come every week. But I said, if you're not comfortable with that, or if you want to do this in the privacy of your home or with me, you can do that. And so I know if you're listening to this, you might be thinking, that's nice, but like my kid doesn't live by you, or we don't have your phone number or whatever. Here's what I would suggest. If you're a parent listening to this, or if you're a teenager listening to this, and you're struggling with a pornography addiction, download that app, start looking at that manual, and you can either go to your bishop, go to your spiritual leader, go to someone that's a trusted adult and say, I'm struggling with addiction and I want to work these steps. Will you go through this with me? And I guarantee you someone you love will look at you and say, absolutely. And if you are an adult who you have someone you love who's struggling with this, I would challenge you not only to be willing to help them through the 12 steps, but consider doing them yourself because you'll have such a deeper understanding and appreciation for what, like the work that goes into those 12 steps and you will only become a better person. You will only become closer to the savior as you work those 12 steps. That's my suggestion. But what do you think, Neil? Yeah, exactly the same thing for anybody. For me, I don't know. To me, the solution is the same. The 12 steps really, as I've worked them and in working with others, working them, it's really just a very specific and step-by-step way of applying the atonement of Jesus Christ. This is exactly what I said I, too. I think yeah. when I first went into a bishop and talked to him about a problem with pornography, I was like, all right, well, now what do I do? Like, how, okay, how do I repent? And it's just meet with me and we'll work through it, which we did. I worked through that process, but still, I think it can, at times it can feel ambiguous, but it's, it's a very thorough repentance process. And, and so that's what I love about it. And, and this can apply to anything and you, you replace addiction with whatever the challenge is that you're trying to overcome. And it's really, it works for anything. Even if you don't see yourself as an addict or I'm sure there's something that you're working on that you're struggling with that you feel powerless over. This is exactly what it's there for. Yeah. I so agree with that. And I did say, this is, This is just a thorough way to walk through the repentance process and to use the atonement of Jesus Christ. I said exactly what you said too. And you and I are on the exact same page with that. So I am so thankful that our bishop was there and took the last, I was supposed to give him 10 minutes and (laughs) I, it actually ended up being more like seven minutes, which I felt super bad about, but he had some incredible suggestions for our youth and the things that they should and should not be doing. So these were some of his suggestions. And he said, this is not just, these are, I can't make you do this. I'm not your parent, but as your bishop, I strongly counsel you to do these things. So he said, no phones in the room, no phones. There's no reason for you as a teenager to have an electronic device in your bedroom. And especially with the door closed ever. But he said, even just in your bedroom period. And I completely agree with that. So he said, my kids know that I'm super big on that. It's like your phone doesn't belong in your bedroom ever. You need to be using it out where everyone can see you. And we've, we only let our girls very rarely use an iPad for educational games or like apps every once in a blue moon. (laughs) But even at, that's our rule here too, is if you need to be doing 
Zoom school or an educational app or whatever, you, it has to be in a room where everyone can see exactly what you're doing. That's just the rule. I thought that was a really good suggestion. He said, don't spend hours on social media. He said, if you are the type of person, and he said, if you're the person that I'm talking to, and he said, I don't know how many hours any of you are spending on social media, but if you know that this is you, you know I'm talking to you. And he said, every time I've worked with a youth who's struggling with pornography, it's the gateway every time is social media. So he said, if you find yourself on social media for hours, it's time to quit social media. And I agree with that. I am such a big advocate for using social media for good, but I think that there are people and personalities who they can't hang out in a bar and not take a drink. And Neil is one of them. He doesn't have any social media. And I know a lot of other addicts, specifically recovering pornography addicts who've chosen that same path and they've chosen it on their own. Like I just, they just know this is not a healthy place for me to hang out. So he said, if you're that person, it's time to quit social media if you're spending hours on it. And I thought that was super interesting. And what he said also about it being the gateway to pornography addiction. And he said, if you need help, go ask your parents. And it's better coming from you than it is them having to go to you. But go tell them, I need help. I need guidance. I need you to put some, put a screen. He said, ask your parents to put a screen time limit on your phone to where once you've gone over the limit, it just shuts you off. And he said, your parents will love you for it. They won't judge you. They won't think less of you. They will appreciate that you're asking them for help. And then I thought this was very interesting. The last thing he said is 100% of the kids who have come to him having problems with pornography are not reading their scriptures and praying daily. He said 100% of the kids or or 100% of the time, if it's someone that's coming to him and struggling with pornography, they are not reading their scriptures daily and praying. And so he said, read the Book of Mormon daily, pray daily. That's like the best armor. And I believe that so strongly too. There's one last thing that I really want to share. And this was super powerful. Neil asked two of our friends who we know through ARP to just share with us. I asked him to reach out and ask them, what helped you stop viewing pornography? And so this first one was from a friend of ours who we met six or seven years ago. And both of these guys, interestingly, the first time I met them, they were about to lose it all. Their family, their job, their church membership, possibly like everything because of pornography. Like it all started with pornography. One of them, there was infidelity there. The other, there wasn't. But either way, this is where I talked about it's a progressive thing. If you start viewing pornography and you become addicted to it, it's typically a matter of time before it turns into something even more progressively where it turns into real people and not just pornography. So I said, this first guy has five, almost six years of sobriety where he's been able to abstain from pornography use for that long. And he's completely changed his life for the better. He's this really happy, spiritually solid, incredible person. And I said, the other guy we met about a year ago and he, the pandemic kind of brought out his pornography use. His wife found out that she, she didn't even know their whole marriage. And when she first found out, it was like they were maybe going to split up and things were going to end. And I said, now they're, they're doing so much better and seem to be really strong and happy. And he's doing really well. So I said, I'm going to read to you what these guys said about how they stopped and what made them finally stop. And I think these, I think I thought this was like the most powerful part of the whole lesson. So this is from our friend with 
five, almost six years of sobriety. So he said, it always seems lame when I give this answer because it seems totally obvious, though not at the time. Almost like I'm a total idiot for not realizing this. It took me into my 40s to realize this. One of the things that has helped me not engage with pornography or other sexual behaviors was understanding that they were coping mechanisms for how I dealt with all of the painful aspects of life. Stress, rejection, pain, inadequacy, boredom. The narrative in my head was that there was something warped or perverted about me because why else would I look at any of those things? But the epiphany of it being about coping really took away the power that pornography and sexual behaviors had over me and allowed me to see it for what it was, me trying to escape, numb, run, not feel. So today, when I feel tempted or triggered to engage with pornography or sexual behaviors, I can step back and see that for what that really is and change the dialogue in my head. What are you trying to not feel? Then allow myself to feel and turn to more constructive and positive ways to cope with painful aspects of life. Another thing that has really impacted my ability to not view pornography was to see and list all of the negative effects that it had on my life. These were almost impossible to see when I was stuck in the habit of addiction, but acknowledging the negative effects and again, actually listing them out, forced my brain to associate pornography use and sexual behaviors with their negative consequences and effects that it really has. So my brain wants to turn less to it because it now associates more pain and actual consequences with its use. Lastly, I had to have a spiritual awakening. I needed the help of a God to cleanse and forgive and then strengthen and support me as I tried to change decades-long behaviors and habits addiction. I rediscovered prayer because I wasn't praying. I devoured the scriptures, which were just collecting dust under my nightstand. Turning to church gave me the strength to resist and do something better. These three things, seeing it as a negative coping skill, number one, acknowledging the negative consequences, number two, and number three, turning to God, has allowed me to resist and refrain from using it, going on almost six years now of a totally changed life, free from the prison of pornography. So I thought that was just very powerful from this friend of ours who he was about to lose it all. And then just to watch him turn his life around and be just this totally different person. And then our friend with one year of sobriety, he said, I had to bottom out and hit rock bottom to believe I had a problem. When I was running around in high school, flirting with cute girls and having fun, it was hard to even think it was a big problem. What I never realized is that for me, pornography had nothing to do with pornography. I was so scared of falling short, of not measuring up, of not being good enough to be loved. That's what I was always trying to feel good about or numb that feeling away with high intensity reward behaviors. Pornography wasn't the problem. Pornography was the solution. The real underlying problem was my fear and anxiety. Even when I had plenty of success, always had a girlfriend, played sports, got good grades, went to church, etc., I still needed external wins to make me feel good. And that inner okayness can only come from God. I could never have done it alone. Never. I needed a group of people who had been through the hell and darkness of it and succeeded to guide me up Everest and literally taking it one day at a time. If I think too far ahead, I freak out future tripping and want to numb and hide. But one day at a time, I can write this on my mirror and believe it. I'm safe. I'm okay. And with God, I'm more than enough. It was never about pornography. It's not about pills or alcohol or drugs or food or social media feeds. It's about feeling whole with God, no matter what wave or storm comes or goes super powerful. I'm going to end there and just with my testimony that through Christ, we can do all things, including overcome 
the temptation to view pornography or an addiction even to pornography. So I'd love to hear your final thoughts, Neil. Well, I think that's, you just hit that the nail on the head and overall, and especially just knowing where those two last quotes came from, knowing those individuals really well, they're just amazing examples to me of what is possible through working the 12 steps and more specifically using the atonement of Jesus Christ. So I, I think, yeah, just final thoughts is the possibility like that actually can actually happen that overcoming an addiction or finding, and it's not just stopping something. It's not just a matter of, Oh, I just need to stop looking at pornography or engaging in other behaviors. It's there's so much more, there's so much more spiritual growth in life and understanding of who we are and becoming better and experiencing deeper joy. It's not just a matter of stopping something, but it's a matter of spiritual progression, which I think really at the bottom of it is stunted by, by addiction. But, but just back to that possibility, I think when I first got into recovery and I saw people pick up, we'd pick up these little chips or celebrate lengths of sobriety. Go, I haven't engaged in my addiction for a month or six months or a year. I remember walking in and just going, no way. There's no way if you're having the same experience that I'm having, I just don't believe you. I've tried to stop my entire life. I never wanted to do this in the first place, but in understanding more and learning and um, applying these principles and being surrounded by other people who are trying to do the same, you learn and understand like it absolutely is possible. You really can be forgiven. You really can move past and overcome addiction and, and these challenges. And you're not terminally unique. That's a term that I learned a lot about in recovery was I'm different. The atonement doesn't apply to me. I've tried it. Spirituality doesn't apply to me. A church, all this stuff. Like I've, I've tried this my whole life and it's not worked. I'm different. I'm just going to die. I am the way that I am and I'm going to die this way. I'm terminally unique. But that's not true. And that's not accurate and that there is hope there is a way to overcome it and it's getting outside of yourself and turning to god and, and exercising those first three steps which in short I love this i can't god can so i think i'll let him so the short version of steps one two and three and twelve steps or what we talk about as surrender and we surrender you win. It's one of the paradoxes of recovery, but it's totally true and it's totally possible. So that's my closing Thanks, Neil. All right. A little bit of a heavy topic, but hopefully you learned something and it was helpful. So we appreciate you. We love you and God loves you too. So we'll see you next week. Thanks so much for listening to Mint Arrow Messages. Make sure you follow us on Instagram at Mint Arrow subscribe to our Apple podcasts and rate and review us if you like us. And to get show notes, go to mintarrow.com slash podcast. And you can even sign up to get show notes emailed right to your inbox. And we'll email you every time there's a new episode.